God's in this place, isn't he? How incredible to know that the God, the creator of all universe, our heavenly father, invites us into his presence this morning. And I hope as we've sung this morning and as we've been led in worship by Pastor Mark and, and our worship team, you've been able to, in some small way, just let God know how much you truly love him. Thank you, Pastor Mark and, and worship team for leading us this morning. Before we begin, I've got to ask a quick um, Seems like every time that I've had an opportunity to preach, I have to start with asking for forgiveness for something. And so, uh, Brother Eric, I just want to go out on a limb here this morning, and um, I want to ask your forgiveness for uh, popping that surprise on you this morning. Eric is one of our life group leaders, and uh, I forgot to let him know that he was going to have some special guests in there, and I just escorted in uh, Brother Mark and Miss Tanya unannounced, and uh, um, thank you for having mercy on me this morning and uh, letting that slide. I know that, uh, as you said, we'll be visiting later, but uh, thank you for being merciful this morning. We have the opportunity this morning to continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the most incredible teachings of Jesus is one of the longest discourses his pastor has shared with us, recorded as Jesus taught. As he had begun his ministry and as he had, had launched out his earthly ministry, his popularity was taking off. People were beginning to flock to him because they saw the miracles that he was performing. They saw the things that he was doing for those around him. And the message that he was proclaiming was resounding in their hearts. The people of this time were looking for somebody who would come and be a leader, someone who would take and help them get out of the condition that they were in. They were looking for someone who would say, you know what, let's go, let's overtake what's going on and let's start something new. You know, I believe that the world we live in today is crying out for something new. Would you agree with that? They are saying, you know, we've gone with status quo for quite a while, but we're looking for something new. And the words that Jesus spoke to those early disciples as he began to set the tone for what it was going to mean to be a follower of his, not only resounds with those people, but should resound in those of us today who are called to be Christ followers. You see, being a Christ follower is not just about coming and hanging out with a bunch of people on Sunday morning. Being a Christ follower is not just uh, going the extra mile and going to life group on Sunday morning. Being a Christ follower is not just maybe even serving a little bit in, in the church. Being a follower of Christ is a lifestyle that God has called us, and it is radically counterculture to what we see in the world today. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be different. If you're going to follow me, people are going to see a difference in you. And that was the message that he was proclaiming while he was preaching this Sermon on the Mount. This is the message that he was trying to get to, to these people. I'm here to establish a kingdom, but it's not here on this earth. I'm inviting you to come and be a part of what is to come. I'm inviting you to come and live a lifestyle that will draw people to me. 
Not to you, but to me. Come join me. And as people begin to flock to see the miracles, and as they begin to flock to to get that extra meal, as they begin to flock just to see what was going to happen next, Jesus lays this word on him. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, will you join me in Matthew chapter 5? And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. The first six verses, we're going to review where we've already been. And verse 7 is going to be our launching pad for this morning. As we talk about mercy equals undeserved. Mercy equals undeserved. Would you join me in standing in honor of the reading of God's word this morning? The scripture says this, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray together. God, this morning we understand that you're great and you're awesome. And we worship you because you're holy. We worship you because you've extended mercy to us. God, we worship you because you give us new life. I pray that as we study your word this morning, God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will come and impart truth to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do your office work today. We ask you to illuminate the scripture, bring it to life to us, open our minds to receive it, our hearts to hear it, but God, give us the strength to be obedient as you ask us to respond to it. Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you that you've invited us to meet here corporately with you today to worship, to study your word, and then God, to be released, to go back into the world to make a profound difference this week as we live out what you've asked us to do. Lord, I pray that you will guard this time, that, God, you will use me this morning to speak. Hide me behind the cross. God, I pray that my words will not be my words, but simply the truth of your words. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus is laying out what it means to be his follower. He has all these people that are gathered around, and the crowds are large, and he begins to teach them. And we have the Sermon on the Mount, and we call this first part of it the B attitudes. I think that is such an appropriate terminology to use because what Jesus is really saying is, if you're going to be my follower, be this. If you're going to be my follower, have this attitude in you. If you're going to come with me, and you're going to see me use you, do this. As he was teaching, he was teaching some things. And as the people were listening on that hillside that day, I'm thinking as they were pondering it and as as they were soaking it in, some of them were going, yeah, yeah, I get that. I understand that. But as he continued to teach, I think some of them were going, say, what? You want me to do what? You want me to be meek? You want me to warn? You You want me to be merciful? What does that mean? I went to Wikipedia this week, and this is what Wikipedia says. 
Mercy is a broad term that refers to benevolence, forgiveness, and kindness in a variety of ethical, religious, social, and legal contexts. Kind or forgiving treatment of someone who could be treated harshly. Kindness or help given to people who are in a very bad or desperate situation. Webster says this, compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. Lenient or compassionate treatment, a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. Dads, have you ever been to that place as you were raising your children? And you're dealing with that situation and you have just up to here? Let's get honest for a second. Has this thought ever crossed your mind? Remember Bill Cosby's buzz line? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Anybody ever felt like that? Okay, how about as you went to work and as you were dealing with coworkers, has it ever crossed your mind, you know what? I didn't bring you into this world, but I might want to take you out. I get it. You guys are all merciful people. This week, as I was preparing for this, I don't know what it was about this subject matter that drew so many of the staff to my office with words of encouragement. Everyone in their sweet little way said, we'd really like to help you understand what mercy is all about. I don't get it. I kind of pride myself on being merciful. Jesus is saying, I'm I'm setting out a different way. I'm calling you to do something that goes against the norm. I'm calling you to be merciful so that you can receive mercy. As I was doing a word study on this, it's incredible what this one little verse says. It says, blessed or happy or content are those who are in the process of doing merciful things. You know, a lot of times when we think about mercy, what are some of the first things that come to our mind? Maybe holding back. Maybe going, you know what? That guy that cut me off in traffic, I think I ought to go help him understand the driving laws of Kansas. How about the cashier that can't count coins? And they look at you and go, I'm sorry, the cash register didn't tell me exactly how much change I'm supposed to give you, so can you help me? I'm so glad that I have a merciful wife. This morning, as I was going through my normal Sunday morning routine before preaching, um, there's just something that happens between noon on Saturday and about noon on Sunday. Um, As you're preparing to share, there's just this thing that takes over. And this morning, I was just a tad bit less than relaxed. I was just a tad bit less than merciful. And in a way that only a loving wife could do, she looked at me and she said, would you chill? It's not the first time you've ever preached. You'll do well. Thank you for the mercy, dear. I appreciate that. It really, that is mercy. That is Before we can really begin to understand what it means to be merciful, we have to come to grips with what mercy is. So this morning, with this as our background, I want us to look at three different scriptures that are going to help us not only to understand what mercy is, 
going to teach us how to release it, and then it's going to teach us how to receive it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump through three different scriptures. Uh, these are up on the screens, but join me in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Before we can actually be a giver of mercy, we need to come to grips with what great mercy has been given us. The Bible teaches us this, that before we can understand mercy, we need to understand that mercy was given to us and the condition that it was given to us. Notice what verse 8 says. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When was the last time that you got on your face before God and said, God, you know what? I'm a sinner. When was the last time that you admitted to yourself, I'm a sinner? You see, I'm afraid that those of us who have been following Christ for a while begin to whitewash our sin. We begin to go, you know what? I'm not all that bad. After all, I've got salvation and God loves me. Yeah, he does. But that doesn't negate the fact that we're still sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us what? For for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does all mean? For everybody but the staff have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? Oh, here, this is a good one. For everybody but the members of Emmanuel Baptist Church have sinned. For everybody but me has sinned. For all have sinned. And you know, sometimes we give lip service to that. But folks, do you understand what sin really is? Sin is missing God's mark. Sin is coming short of this God's standard. What's God's standard? Jesus said, be perfect, even as my Father which is in heaven is perfect. We are called to that. How many of you lived up to perfection this week? Good, I didn't see any hands. None of us were able to do that. We're, you know, we can, we can come to grips with that, but did you realize that sin really is looking into the face of God and saying, God, I know what you want me to do, but I choose not to do it. Do you realize sin is really saying, God, I, I, I know that you told me not to do that. But God, I don't care. I choose to do it. Do you realize that sin is us as humans looking into the eyes of a holy righteous and just God and saying we don't care we're going to do it our way sin separates us from God sin and that attitude creates a disconnect for us and creates a situation that had God not responded in mercy would leave us hopeless the scripture said that while we were in this sinful condition, God demonstrated his love to us. Guys, think about this for a second. What would you do this afternoon if you were chilling out 
and the kids came around, and you said, okay, guys, here's the deal. For the next couple hours, here are two things I, I want you to get accomplished, and here's one thing. Please just don't do this. Do you understand? And then they look at you and go, Daddy, we really love you. And we really want to honor you, so here's what we're going to do. Those things you ask us to do, we're not going to do them. And that one thing you said don't do, we're on our way to go do it. How would that make you feel? Would that make you rise up and go, oh, come here, kids, let's do the big family hug? You'd go back to Bill Cosby, wouldn't you? Why is it that we think as humans... We can have the audacity to say to a holy, righteous, powerful God, I know what you ask, I know what you've said, but I choose not to do it. But but Pastor Gail, that's not how I feel, really. So you're totally obedient? You're doing everything he asks you to do? When we choose to disobey, when we choose to go against God, we're saying, God, we don't care. We choose to go against you. That's our condition. Notice God's cost for mercy, verses 9 through 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You get the picture? God said, I see your rebellious heart. I understand your rebellious nature. I give you the freedom to choose to do that, but I love you too much not to make amends for that. I love you too much not to make a way where you can know what it means to have a right relationship with me. I love you too much that while you're still in that condition of rebellion, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to make a way where we can have a right relationship. Folks, do you understand before the foundations of the world were laid, God said, I have a plan. Before that first let there be was said, God knew we would respond in rebellion. But he went ahead and created. He went ahead and gave this to us. He gave us life, but then he bought us back. And it cost him dearly. It cost him his son. Do you get that when Jesus came and he lived here on earth, that was God living among us? Do you get the fact that God loved us enough to show himself to us? That he sent Christ and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus modeled what it means to be a follower of God. He set the example. He set the standard. But he went beyond that. You see, God is a righteous God. He loves us tremendously. He wants the very best for us. 
And he doesn't want to punish us, but he is just, and he has to deal with the sin. How would you feel if you knew of a court case coming up before a judge? And it was a horrendous crime. And that judge, as he heard the case at the end of it, said, you know what? Here's the deal. I know what the law says. I know that you're guilty. But I'm not going to do anything about it. How long would that judge hold that position? Not very long, would he? We expect our human judges to uphold the law, right? Anybody here not expect a judge to uphold the law? Why should we expect anything less of a holy God? God said, here's the standard. You've missed it. I love you and I don't want to punish you, but I'm just and I've got to deal with that sin. So what's the cure? I'm sending Jesus. As Jesus walked among the earth, he demonstrated God's love. He demonstrated what it means to be a follower. But greater than that, he looked at God and he said, God, I know they're all guilty. God, I know that there's a price that has to be paid so that you can have a right relationship with your creation. God, I beg, don't punish them. Punish me. When Jesus was before Pilate in that trumped-up trial, he was accused of things that he had never done. As he went and he was beaten and he was flogged, he didn't do that because of what he had done. When they took him up on the hill on Golgotha and they laid him on the cross and that centurion grabbed that spike and that spike went through his flesh. It wasn't because of what he did. That was God's love and mercy being poured out for us. Jesus said, God, punish me. Don't punish them. Punish me. Do you understand what it costs for God to show us his mercy? Do you get that in that moment as Jesus hung on the cross, all of the righteous anger of God towards sin was poured out on him? As Jesus hung there, he was paying the penalty for my sin and your sin. Nothing that he had done. The incredible news is that he was willing to do that. And he's hung there. The scripture says, while we were enemies, we were in direct opposition to God. While we were enemies, God poured out his wrath on his only son so that he could demonstrate love to you and I. By his blood, our sins have been paid for. By his death, we have been reconciled into right relationship with God. As Jesus hung on the cross, his last recorded word is a little Greek word, tetelestai, which means paid in full. 
If you were to go back and look at business records from the New Testament time, when there was a debt that had been owed, when there was a transaction that still needed to be paid, there would be the ledger that says this and this and this still needs to be paid. But once it was paid, they would write to Telestai across it. As Jesus hung on the cross, he looked at the Father and he said, to Telestai, the debt is paid in full. Not only do we need before we can be a giver of mercy to realize our condition and God's cause, but notice this, verse 11, the job is complete. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Folks, when Jesus said, it's done, it was done. The sin debt was paid once and for all. Never again would there have to be a sacrifice given in order that we could have a right relationship with God. The job was complete, and praise God, he did it for us. I don't know about you all, but that does two things to me. Number one, it makes me want to shout. But in the same breath, it makes me want to fall on my face as I realize that it was me who put him there. You want to know why I don't think we're as merciful as we need to be? We don't recognize the mercy that's been given to us. We don't realize how much God paid in order to reconcile us. We don't understand our condition and how putrid it was to the Father. But the good news is he loved us and he gave us that mercy. He gave us something we so did not deserve. Once we begin to recognize that mercy and we begin to come to grips with what's given to us, you know the natural byproduct of that, we'll want to release mercy. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 40. Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40. Jesus is calling us to release mercy. And once we understand how much mercy has been given us, it should be a, a simple process to do that. Notice what happens in these verses. The backdrop of, of the scripture here, Jesus is in the judgment time, and he's separated the believers from the non-believers. And he's addressing the believers now, and he says this, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. In order to release mercy, we need to have the right actions. Is this an exhaustive list of the things we need to do to show mercy? No. What it does is it sets the temperature, it sets the tone of the things that we should be doing. Folks, as we go through life, as we seek to live day by day, as we've come to grips with the grace and the mercy that God has given us, our life should be a natural overflow to the world we come in contact with. This past week, I was at the Y. And uh, I was following a gentleman in, and uh, as he went in, he saw one of his friends. And his friend is having some health problems, some leg problems, and he normally walks with a walker, but that day, instead of walking with the walker, he was sitting on it and trying to scoot himself in. The gentleman went over, and he checked himself in, and they went over and just put his arms around his friend. He goes, you having a rough day today? And the guy goes, no, no, I'm okay. He goes, it's okay. Let go of the brakes, and let me push you over where you need to go. You see, sometimes mercy is just looking out and seeing that need and reaching out and meeting it. 
Sometimes it's pushing somebody to where they need to go. Sometimes it's offering them a cup of cold water. Sometimes it's saying, you know what, I'll step back and let you go first. In our homes, maybe it's looking at our husband or our wife and saying, I'm going to put you first. Maybe it's working with our kids and saying, you know, in spite of what you just did, I love you. In spite of what I'm going through, I still care, and I want to show you that mercy. I want to do it tangibly. You see, mercy released is tangible evidence of God at work. We can't just sit back and look at the world and go, be warm and filled. We need to be giving expressions of mercy to the world, not to gain reputation for us, not to be able to point and say, look what we've done, but to be able to point to the Father and say, look what he's done. Because of what he's given me, I give to you. Because of what I have received, I want you to receive this. Do you earn it? Do you deserve it? No. But I want to do this out of love for you. Jesus said, you did these things. You fed me. You gave me water. You welcomed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. We need to put action to mercy. But not only do we need to put action There needs to be a right attitude. Does it count if we reach out and go, you know what? I'm going to do this, but on the inside, I would rather do this. Does that count as mercy? On the outside, I'm going to do this wonderful thing for you, but on the inside, what I want to do is knock the slats out of you. Notice what Jesus said. The righteous said to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? These folks had been living a lifestyle that was just an abundance of what they'd received. They didn't even realize what they were doing. Folks, it is time that we begin to share love. We begin to share mercy. We begin to reach out to a lost and dying world Even though we may feel that they don't need it, we need to do it to demonstrate God's love. It should be a lifestyle. Most of us don't have a merciful lifestyle, do we? When we see the line forming, where do we want to be? At the front. When we see something being given away, whose name do we want to hear called? When we see somebody in need, what's our first reaction? I didn't see it. God has called us as Christ's followers to follow his example. As you read through the New Testament, as you see what Jesus did, what did he do on a daily basis? Did he go, you know, I really hope I don't run into people today. I really hope I don't have to minister to anybody today. I really hope that nobody asks anything from me today. Just the opposite. He went out and he began to look and he goes, where can I find a need? Where can I find a need? And how am I going to meet that? We have to have the right actions. We have to have the right attitude. And we need the right approval. Notice what verse 40 says. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of one of these brothers, you did it unto me. Folks, Emmanuel 
is trying to find some tangible ways to show mercy to our community. Thanks to you being good givers and sharing what God has blessed you with, we've been able to enter into a partnership with a local elementary school. Every year we get to do the most incredible thing. We get to take over some crayons and markers and some notebooks and things and lay them in that school. Do we do it so that that school will say, we love you, Emmanuel? Do we do it to say, look what we've done? If we do, God forgive us. Our hope and our desire is we go, you know what? We want to do this because God has extended mercy to us. And we want to share with you and we want to give this to you so that we can earn the opportunity to share with you the greatest gift that was ever given. And that's the gift of eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has called us to join him on mission. That is why we are financially supporting a church in Montreal, a church in Winnipeg, a church in Kansas City. That's why we faithfully pray for people. We are joining God at work in these places, not to draw attention to us, but to bring honor and glory to him. As God has blessed us, we want to bless others. Folks, when we begin to understand what God has given to us, we're going to release that back into the world. Not to say, look what we've done, but we're going to say, would you accept this so that we can have the right to share with you the greatest thing that's ever been given. And finally, not only do we need to recognize the mercy that's been given, not only do we need to release it, but folks, before we can do any of that, we have to receive it. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Mercy received is this. We need to understand first and foremost, it comes from God. God says, I love you. I care for you. I want the best for you. And because of that, I'm going to give you an incredible gift. That gift comes from God. Not only does it come from God, but it's free. Notice what the next part of that scripture says. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him. You know, as we've looked at mercy today, some might say, you know, that verse says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Isn't Jesus telling me that the only way that I'm going to be shown mercy, that the only way I can have a right standing and a right relationship with him is by being merciful? No, that's not what it says. It says as we come to understand the gift that God has given us, and we understand the mercy that has already been given to us, we're going to share mercy. And we're going to share mercy because we know one day God is once again going to demonstrate mercy to us and allow us to spend eternity in heaven with him. It's a free gift. And notice this last thing. It's forever given. God's mercy didn't stop at the cross. God's mercy 
didn't stop when I came to the realization that I needed a relationship with him. And I asked Christ to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sin and become my Savior and my boss. God's mercies are new each and every day of my life. Each and every day that I get up, God says, man, Gail needs mercy today. And I'm going to give him mercy. I know that today he's going to mess up, but he's my child, and I'm going to exhibit that mercy to him. It goes on forever. And one day, when we stand before the throne, and we get to fall on our face before him, recognizing his holiness, we're going to come to the realization of the incredible mercy that Jesus has given us. Jesus was teaching. And he says, if you want to be my follower, be merciful so that you'll receive mercy. Let's pray. Good to have you this morning on Father's Day. You know, I told our students at camp, uh, you know, the day I became a father, my life changed forever. Uh, and you can't go back on that. I can't not be a father now. And so when they made this decision two weeks ago at camp to accept Christ, they're making a decision that they can't go back on. Uh, and so we, we come to celebrate that this morning. So first we have Candace Anderson. If you're a family member or a friend of Candace's, would you just please stand and celebrate her decision this morning? Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is really cool. All three of these baptisms this morning are kids that were, they were baptized or they were saved supposedly when they were younger and then have come to reevaluate, like scripture says, to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling and have made the decision now to like I said, to, to be a Christian for the rest of their life. It's not just a get out of hell free card. It's a total life and heart change. So Candace, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Married with Christ in baptism. And it's cool off the newness of life. Next we have Aurora. This is Aurora Castillo, and like Candace, on the same night at camp, 
uh, decided to give her life to Christ. Aurora, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? My privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to life in the name of the Lord. And last, we have Zach. Zach Talbert. What's up, Zach? And if you're a, a family member, a friend of Zach's, just stand and celebrate his decision as well. Or stay standing if you're already standing. Zach, have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to life.